Welcome to the Raise Private Money Legally Podcast with your host, Corporate Securities Attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. Kim is a nationally recognized attorney, speaker, and the author of two number one Amazon best-selling books, the latest of which is How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally. Kim and her firm, Syndication Attorneys, PLLC, have been responsible for over $2.75 billion in securities offerings. The purpose of this podcast is to introduce you to topics and services you need as your real estate syndication business grows. Whether you're a new syndicator or a seasoned fund manager, this podcast is for you. Information discussed during this free podcast is of a general, educational nature and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Syndication Attorney's free monthly podcast, where we talk about topics of interest to real estate syndicators with the opportunity for live questions and answers at the end of the call. I am attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. Uh, Today, our topic is liquidity for syndicators at last uh, with our special guest, Gil Seidner. And uh, Gil, thank you. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Kim. Uh, Happy to be here. And thank you for having me. I am happy that you uh, reached out to me and happy to know about your services. So I can't wait to tell our audience. The whole purpose of this podcast is to introduce our audience who are uh, real estate syndicators, uh, either in in various stages of their practice, just starting out, very seasoned or somewhere in the middle. And uh, we want to make sure that they get introduced to all of the right services that they may have a need for as their syndication businesses grow and uh your service is one of the ones that has been uh, blatantly missing from this uh, world for the whole time I've been doing this. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, that you decided to do it. So tell us about yourself and your company, Second RE. Sure. Uh, so again, I'm Gil Sidner. I'm doing the business development for Second RE uh, here in the U.S., and secondly, we also have a development center in Israel, uh, which is where the technology comes from. And secondly, is actually an online platform that, as you said, enables investors to really uh, sell or buy their shares in existing uh, real estate assets. What we do is really partner with sponsors or syndicators. And together, we look into their portfolio and find the right opportunities to put in our platform. And the old notion is that at the end, this sponsor will have the ability to raise equity uh, more easily, will improve his relationship with the investor and providing the investor with liquidity. And as you said, it's a 100 plus year of business, uh, real estate. And the main point of real estate is really being illiquid. And this is what we're trying to change uh, with technology. Um, before actually starting with secondary, I was in another pop tech company called Skyline AI, and which was acquired by JLL, uh, the broker which used our database to really um, find leads, uh, both on the equity and debt side. And before that, I came from a background of 15 years of direct real estate investing um, for the two largest insurance companies in Israel. So I do know tech uh, to some extent in the past four years. I obviously know real estate and the hustle of raising equity, underwriting, and so on and so forth. Uh, But in a nutshell, that's what we are, and this is who I am. Great. So so what you're really talking about is that as sponsor, somebody who has a syndicate and has uh, an investor that needs out, 
Um, and, yes. and of course, you know, the, all the money that they, the sponsor raised has been invested in maybe a multifamily property or some commercial property. So there's no real liquidity event until there's maybe a refinance two or three years later. But all of a sudden something happens in an investor's life. They need to get out. And uh, they then come to their sponsor, say, help me out here. If the sponsor doesn't buy the interests or the other members don't buy the interest, then this is a yet another avenue where they can go and uh, put those interests out there for sale to other people. Is that right? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And the process of a sponsor really dealing with this LP, in most cases, is probably a headache. Uh, those issues are about pricing and fiduciary uh, duty of the sponsor because he knows the exact pricing of an asset and the LP doesn't necessarily have all the information. So pricing is one issue. The other one is the hassle of finding another LP. Um, so we are trying to streamline all of this process. We need to get together sponsors, opportunities, buyers and sellers into the platform and really streamline the process. Uh, we also provide, uh, I'll mention that, um, all the needed information sponsor we need in order to um, to get a new investor into their platform, uh, in, into their uh, investor base as well. But again, we are trying to do a very hassle-free process, especially for the sponsor. So somebody who comes to your platform and buys some interest from one of our clients, say, uh, then they're going to get, the sponsor is going to get all that contact information. They're going to get a complete subscription from that person. Are they free to market to that uh, person for future offerings? Yes, yes, exactly that. At the end of the day, what the what this platform is doing is really swapping one LP, the old LP, with the new one. Before the sponsor really approved this new one, this new LP into his platform, he'll need to have a KYC. We need to have an AML, we need to have a third party accreditation, all of this information in order to approve him as a new as a new LP. And this we do internally and provide a sponsor with this kind of package, information package. And we need to review it and obviously uh, authorize and approve the deal at the end of the day. So no trade that's being done in the platform is not being is not done without the sponsor's blessing. The sponsor will be, um, you know, joining us with this in this process. We'll identify the assets together. We'll put them on the platform. Obviously, we'll do all the tech stuff on, on our side. And when there's a deal to be made, the sponsor will be the one, the, the only one that approves the deal at the end of the day. So we approve the deal, approve the LP, and now he has a new LP, and it's his investor. He can do whatever he wants with him. He distributes money, distributes the K one, the K ones. And obviously, could uh, offer new offerings as well. So, what's your overriding goal for secondary? What what was it that prompted you to create the service? So, again, real estate is really an illiquid uh, asset class, and it's an inefficiency that we wanted to do to really solve. And now, with technology, with the uh, with our ability to really create an online platform. We thought it was a really good start to really uh, correct this inefficiency in real estate. Um, again, we want to bring sponsors, uh, transactions, and LPs together. The platform is really open to most of the asset classes, most of the strategies, and for all sponsors. So this is one place, very efficient, and it, again, as I said, 
really streamlining the process of, of liquidity. That's uh, fantastic. Uh, I'm so glad that you saw that need and have decided to fill it. Uh, so just walk us through the process. We have a sponsor who has an investor that's come to them and said, I need to get out. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody internally in the company is willing to step up. What's the next step? How do the, What do they do? So we asked the sponsor for initial details about the investment. So the original OM, asset management fee, historical performance of the asset, and we do our internal due diligence uh, on this investment and see if the number fit at the end of the day and if it makes sense for us to really uh, upload the asset into the platform. After we do that, um, the sponsor really sends an email to all of his investors in this specific asset and tell them there's now a possibility for them to liquidate even before he decides to sell. These investors have the option or the obligation to opt in into the platform and become members of the platform. And then it's really similar to how you trade stocks in the stock exchange. We have an order book. People could put bids or asks to sell or buy shares in assets and they control the pricing and they control the amount of shares. Um, if there's a match to be made, uh, two people meeting together at the same price, the same amount of shares, we take it all manually. We are the one comprising the escrow account. Uh, we are the one doing the AML, KYC, and third-party accreditation. And we get the sponsor, the buyer, and the seller sign a transfer agreement at the end. And when this is done, obviously, after the sponsor approves the deal and the new buyer, um, the deal is done. Um, the exchange takes place. That's the process. So what the due diligence that you're going to do, you're going to review the documents that were originally pro uh, provided to investors by that sponsor. Mm -hmm. uh, you're yes. going to ask them for updated financials. Or do you require an audit? No, uh, we don't require audit uh, financials. Again, we designed this process to make it as simple as possible for sponsors. So Obviously, asset management reports, they send to their investors. They do have information about distribution. They do have the original OM of the investment. They do have loan information. This is the type of information we ask from sponsors in order to first uh, really do a due diligence and internal due diligence about the investment. And then we aggregate all of this information into one page in our platform. We do that. Um, this is all we need uh, from the sponsor. And again, it's widely available. There's no need for you know, special treatment or special reporting uh, in order to, to work with us. So what is the minimum investment that you would offer on your platform? So our platform is really uh, catering the uh, real investor side um, of the investment board. The minimum would be $50,000. We only let, by the way, accredited investors into the platform. So we're not going to do microtransactions of $500, $1,000, $2,000. investor that comes into the platform is accredited. So the minimum is around $50,000. Um, the maximum one could become, I don't know, one hundred, a few millions, obviously. But again, this is... Pretty much our focus. Uh, no small, very small investors, no very large institutional investors that 
uh, trade for, I don't know, 20, 50 million dollars uh, per deal. It's really this middle market of investors. So does this work for both 506B and 506C offerings? Um, I believe so. Uh, there's no need to really uh, do a primary offering in order to transact in the secondary market. Um, and again, as I said, all we need on a regulation standpoint is the original OM of the asset. Uh, that's all. And so you may not know this question, but this is a very common question that we get asked all the time, okay. um, which is, uh, you know, and if someone has a 506B offering, then they're required to have a pre-existing substantive relationship with their investors before they can allow them to invest with them. Is that mm-hmm. satisfied by the fact that your platform has the relationship or are they going to develop this relationship before they allow someone into their 506B offering? It's really not something that I quite know. Uh, okay. Our legal counsel obviously know that, so I don't okay. want to... I don't want to comment on, on the answer right now. No, that's totally fine. And that's certainly something that we can investigate. Uh, yeah, I can forward, uh, forward this question to my to our legal counsel and we'll give you an example. Yeah, uh, and answer. I think that, that when we had our initial call, your legal counsel was on the phone. And I believe that we yes. talked about that a little bit, but uh, it'd be good if we could get an answer for that. Uh, yeah. The, the people that are on our call today. Sure, will do. No problem. Yeah, we'll, we'll post that in our FAQs. Um, all right. So uh, that's that's great. Um, so what are the benefits, you know, for both sponsors and investors, you know? Sure. So obviously for investors, that's very obvious. It's liquidity, right? I mean, they really didn't have any way, an streamlined way to, to liquidate before the asset was sold. That's one advantage for the investor. The other one is through our platform, they get exposure to a lot more real estate investments. I mean, think of an asset that is traded each and every five years or seven years on the primary market. And that's the only time that an investor could really come and invest in this asset. But on the secondary market, it could be once a week. If people are trying to, share, to, to really sell their shares each and every month, uh, there'll be the ability to really invest in this kind of asset um, very frequently. So again, a large exposure, more liquidity, that's for the uh, investor. Sponsor really uh, has the ability to do a lot of stuff with uh, our platform. First of all, he's exposed to more investors. When we put his investment, uh, we do share, obviously, the performance of this investment. We share information about the sponsor. And he gets more exposure with uh, investors that we didn't reach out to yet. Uh, That's one. The other thing is really streamlining this process of liquidity. I mean, there's a lot of tension uh, between LPs that really want out and the sponsor. And we take all the assets out and put it in the platform. Again, I talked about the the pricing issue. I talked about um, the mechanics of really facilitating the deal and getting new investors, really place an old one. So all of that we put uh, in one basket and, and present it to the sponsors. And obviously, uh, we're not charging anything on that from the sponsors. So it's all free of charge. Well, that's a really good question. So how do you get paid? We get paid uh, similar to a broker dealer. Uh, we get a small percentage uh, from the equity that trades hands, both from the buyer 
and the seller. And that's how we make our money. And again, sponsors are not paying anything. That's that's attractive. Um, yes. And so are you a broker-dealer? Uh, not yet. We are in the process of registering uh, with FINRA and the SEC. Hopefully, it will be done in the next few weeks. Oh, wow. uh, but it is. it was very important for us to really take this path and, first of all, create a platform that is secure, uh, efficient, and transparent. So adding this layer of regulation is really, I think, important, both for sponsors and investors. And that's why we're you know, taking this path. Again, we're at the final stages. We're not approved yet. But hopefully when we will, we'll be a broker dealer and the platform will be an APS, an alternative trading system. Okay. So on just a side note, I occasionally get people asking me, well, why don't I just become a broker dealer? <laughs> this is no small feat, is it? Uh, no, it's a long <laughs> process. Uh, it's been almost six months till now. Wow, that's short. And, um, it's not over yet. Hopefully it will be in a few weeks. But yeah, but it is, again, it's, it's dealing with the regulator uh, on one hand. On the other hand, we think it's very important. Yeah, I, I think in your position, the time and the money. It's going to give you a lot, lot more uh, exposure and credibility, and uh, you, you know, no fear of being, uh, uh, I guess, raided by regulators, um, which is going to be a really great thing. Yeah. And it's also going to give the sponsors confidence that you have the uh, ability and the correct licensing to be able to do this. And That's right. Provide this service. That, the, both sponsors and investors. Yes. 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 Um, all right. So. Um, Let's see. Uh, what kind of vetting do you look for? So you're you're vetting the deal, but you're also vetting <laughs> the sponsor, right? Is that That's right. I mean, uh, are we, you only? I mean, so typical crowdfunding platform uh, like CrowdStreet or Real Crowd, you know, or some of these these bigger real estate crowdfunding platforms, they're looking for a lot of experience on on behalf of the sponsor before they would ever put their deal up on their platforms. What do you, mm-hmm. what are your what are your requirements? So first of all, we do our own vetting on three things. Uh, as you said, the sponsor, the transaction itself, and the new buyer. So we discussed the new buyer already. I mean, the KYC, the AML, the third party accreditation, we do this all uh, in-house and then provide the sponsor with this information. So that's one vetting we do. The other one is the transaction itself. As I mentioned, we do ask for historical information. We do compare it to the original underwriting. We do look look into uh, other very key features in real estate, like the location, uh, the market condition, rent comps, sale comps, everything we do internally. Uh, We have a team of real estate experts that is doing that. So we do our own underwriting. And if the numbers add up on our side, we feel comfortable to really put this transaction in the platform. And the same thing with sponsors. What I did in the past 15 years for the large institutions um, in Israel is really vetting sponsors because at the end of the day, if you do have a good sponsor, um, the deal could, could could really happen and could be very successful. So anything between asking for their track record, really understanding their operation, uh, if they self-manage, do not self-manage, uh, how do they syndicate their equity? What is the legal, the typical legal structure? What is the typical tax structure they use? Everything that really helps us understand 
the the sponsor, the way it operates, and obviously speaking with the key personnel over there because there's a lot to be to be learned with you know this kind of uh, personal relationship with the sponsor. So do you again, also do, uh, background checks. Uh, we could do background checks if needed. Yeah. Yeah. We, as a general rule, our clients, we are now requiring all of our clients and anybody in their management team to undergo a bad actor and a background check. And yeah. we do this both for, uh, you know, for our protection, but also for theirs, because a lot of times, you know, three or four people will meet at a conference and decide they want to do a deal together, but they don't really know anything about each other's background. So yeah. it always, uh, it's, it's easier for us to be the bad guy on behalf of your management team and require it. And then we can let everybody know in the management if there's a problem with, uh, yeah. with one person or something. So they know before they get to the closing table that uh, this is going to hold up the closing. We've, we've seen that happen before. Um, so so that's, uh, that's important. Um, but I like that you uh, are doing the uh, KYC. So for people that don't know that terminology, when you're vetting investors, when a broker dealer vets investors, they do something that's called KYC, which is know your customer. And uh, so they have a prescribed set of uh, questions and information that they need to learn about that person before they can even do business with them to make sure that they're legitimate. And I think you said you do the, uh, the identity verification and yes. also anti-money laundering searches, mm -hmm. um, which is something that all of you should be doing anyway, even when you're bringing in investors into your deals, uh, you need to be checking to make sure that they're not uh, trying to use your syndicate to launder money, because if they are, uh, the person that's you know, left holding the bag is going to be the one that ends up paying for it, and that could be you. Uh, and, and there are people that are in jail for that. So you've got to know uh, that your investors are legitimate and there's some um, OFAC, uh, the uh, Department of Treasury Office of Foreign Assets Control, maintains a database of uh, over 500 pages long of people that you're not allowed to do business with as a US uh, citizen or legal resident. And uh, also uh, there's a list of sanctioned countries, You know, depending on who we're in conflict with at, at certain periods of time, that list changes that you're not allowed to do business with. So you have to be aware of that. You need to be checking those lists to make sure that your people don't appear on those lists. And the way to do that is to make sure that you're always getting a copy of their actual identification uh, passport or uh, driver's license or something like that, and then running their names through those lists. Is there anything else you guys do for AML? Do you uh, have a, a more rigorous process than that? I uh, know that's pretty much it. Um... As of right now, we're doing it with a third party. We're not doing it fully internally, but mm -hmm. it's you know just a matter of scale at the yeah. end of the day. Right, right. And there's, I mean, if you're dealing with international people, then you may want to even go further. There's some, uh, you know, wider uh, worldwide databases that can be searched to find yeah. out. And, and mainly you're trying to determine what the rules are is that you're not allowed to do people that are uh, drug kingpins, you know, known drug kingpins, uh, weapon, weapons of mass destruction prolifer proliferators, I always say that wrong, um, and, uh, you know, people who are, you know, involved in mafia or bad dealings in other countries or, or this country. Yeah. Uh, so you've this just is not our target uh, audience at all. Yeah, so it's, you, you have to know who your people are. So that you're, not, you're not being used for an illicit purpose. Um, so that's always important. Um, so what kind of assets won't you list? <clears throat> As I mentioned, we are pretty much open to all asset classes. So office, retail, residential, 
industrial, hospitality, these are all acceptable. And we do look into the most common strategies as well. So core, core plus, and value add, this is something we'll probably do in the platform. The main issue is with cash. I mean, we do want the asset to be providing the investor with a strong, stable cash flow. So the only thing that we'll probably not do to begin with is pure development. Okay. Uh, it's not generating cash from day one. It's more risky. Uh, for the average investors, you need to be a little bit more sophisticated. But as we go, we might do that as well. But as of right now, it's really cash producing stable assets with a moderate or low risk profile. Okay. So most of our clients are doing value add. We do have a fair amount of development clients. Oh, I'm sure are very sad right now to hear that. But uh, <laughs> that's... Well, it, it really depends. I mean, ground up development... This mm-hmm. is probably a no for us, but think of a multifamily asset that has been developed and is now really reaching the phase of being stabilized. So we do have like 70% occupancy, but we do see the horizon to go into 90% and then get a, a loan fixed rate uh, loan on that kind of investment. So this is something we'll do because the horizon of being stable is very obvious and clear to us. But Really going through, uh, you know, the initial phases of development, that's probably something that we'll not do as of right now. So I know that there are a whole bunch of people are sitting here thinking, well, why don't I just list my entire offering on your platform and let you raise the money for me? Is that something you do? Uh, It's something that we can think about. But again, for us, the focus is really uh, secondary trading. So if we are going to do any kind of primary in in the future, it will be involved with listing these LPs, these initial LPs, as uh, somebody that will really trade their shares going forward. So think of a fund right now. If somebody is raising a 10-year fund, and I mentioned that um, time horizon that is not really parallel between the sponsor and the investor, not all investors are happy to pass their money with a 10-year fund. Uh, they do want the ability to liquidate. So if we will we'll provide them with this liquidation uh, option from secondary, they'll have the ability to reinvest, uh, thinking it will be a long-term hold. But do if they do want to really sell after three years or five years, whatever the reason is, they'll have the ability to do that with secondary. So both for existing assets and, and new offerings as well. So, and then this may be another follow-up question for your general counsel, which is fine. Uh, what about the one-year holding period? So when we sell a primary, when our clients sell their primary interests, uh, they mm-hmm. are subject to the rule 144 uh, one-year holding period for private offering or private interests or interest in a private offering. So uh, what are, are they, so do the, you know, investors have to hold their interests for a year before they could trade them on secondary? Um, I think there's uh, a few ways to answer this question. And again, as you said, I'm not that familiar with this specific subject. So it will be a follow-up question for our legal counsel. Yeah. And I believe we also discussed that earlier on when your yes. counsel was on the call as well. So I believe there is a way that that can be handled. Uh, but uh, we will do a follow-up for everybody who, um, sure. you know, we'll, we'll post this when we send out our replay. We'll post the follow-up questions. 
Uh, so make sure you look for our next newsletter for that information uh, for those of you that are on the call. Um, all right. So um, what about like, uh, so when we write offering documents right now, without having had your service uh, available in the past, we've always written right of first refusal clauses in our documents saying that first the sponsor, the management team has the right to purchase the interest if anybody wants to sell them. And then secondly, if they don't want to purchase it, then they can offer it to the other members. Uh, how does that work within your system? So first of all, as I said, we are first approaching sponsors. So no sponsor will wake up um, one morning and really know that one of his LPs want to sell his share without consulting with uh, at first. So mm -hmm. each and every right of first refusal, the sponsor will have the ability to really stop the process and say, well, hire the right of first refusal. Uh, regarding right of first offers from other LPs, this is actually something we can provide using technology. I mean, think of the platform. Let's create another silo inside the platform, which enclose all the relevant LPs within this investment. And they could trade on this piece, uh, this share of asset inside our platform. If they come to an agreement between this group, that's fine. If not, we can take it outside and let other people uh, read a bid for this uh, kind of investment. So that does, if I understand this right, then this is a service you can provide to the sponsor. So instead of them having to send out an email to all their people and then they have to handle the transaction between whoever yes. to buy it or not, uh, then uh, you can handle that for a small fee, which might be uh, a, you know a, a great benefit to the sponsor. They just say, well, we'll just pay the fee. Yeah. And the buyer pays the fee and the whole transaction takes place, uh, the correct uh, paperwork is done. Uh, so it's kind of a done for you process, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As I said, the main purpose is for sponsors really facilitating this secondary transaction. So yeah. And what that does also, what if uh, somebody wanted to do a capital call? Would you be able to facilitate a capital call through your platform? Yes, if other LPs don't contribute on the capital call and they'll need to you know put into uh, put in put in new equity into the deal yeah that could be an option as well very and easy so when we write our documents we always make the capital calls optional uh they're not mandatory so there's there's two types of documents you might see when i first started writing securities offerings the clauses were mandatory and, and if you know, so everybody, if, if there was a need for an extra $200,000, the sponsor sent out an email to all of the investors and said, you know, mm -hmm. here, you, you contribute your share of this $200,000, you know, whatever percentage interest that investor owned, they had to contribute. And if they didn't contribute, then they were held in default and there were all kinds of penalties that it got associated with them and somebody else yeah. owned the money and then they were charged 15% interest. They'd lose their voting rights. Their interest could be uh, reduced. All kinds of things could happen to them. And uh, what we learned is that a lot of investors decided I'm not going to invest in anything that has that kind of a clause because I'm willing to make my initial investment, but I'm not going to be obligated to a future investment that I don't know anything mm -hmm. about. And if I don't think that the sponsor is doing the right thing, or I just you know don't have the cash available at that time, I don't want to be forced to contribute more. So we made our uh, capital calls uh, kind of uh, optional. And the reason that we did is because what we found it was happening in practice was that some people were raising their hand and saying, I'll take it. 
or, you know, two or three people would raise their hand and say, I'll put in that money. And the rest of the people weren't interested. So we just, uh, you know, made it more flexible for the sponsor to be able to work directly with those people that were interested in doing it. And I think that that kind of a provision would work well with being able to offer the capital call through your platform. So now, again, instead of the sponsor having to go out and try to, you know, uh, call every investor and talk to them about, are you interested? Are you not? And how much do you want? And, you know, carving it all up and figuring out and getting all the correct paperwork in place, that would be something that your your platform could facilitate for them just amongst their own closed group of investors initially, right? And then if that didn't work, then you could go out to a wider group. That's right. That's right. So I think this is a tremendous service, uh, you know, and so back to the benefits for investors is, you know, number one, you have liquidity for your investment. And two, you have insurance against a capital call, because if there is a capital call, yeah. you're going to be forced to contribute uh, because there's a secondary means for the sponsor to be able to try to raise that money from other people, uh, you know, whether it's investors in our group or outside investors. So I think that it also is a tremendous benefit to be able to offer investors. Um, is a new offering required for secondary trading? Like, you know, do we have to create a new PPM or a new set of uh, subscription documents every single time and, and filings with the SEC and Blue Sky filings? So as far as we understand, no. Under rule for a one and a half, the US Security Act, secondary trading is really permitted among accredited investors without a new offering. So there's no need to go out and spend a lot of money on new offerings. Um, Just kind of taking some notes here. And I hope everybody else is taking notes on this call because there's a tremendous amount of material here that uh, will be helpful to you in the future. Um, So how would people, uh, we're going to go to Q&A here live. And I see we have a ton of questions. So um, (laughs) before we go, let's just make sure everybody knows how to reach you and us. So how do people reach you first? Gil? Sure. So I'm. my email is gil, G-I-L, at secondary, which is second, S-E-C-O-N-D-R-E, as in real estate, dot com. So gil at secondary dot com. And our website is live. Uh, you have the ability to log in into the website, secondary dot com, and really opt in into the platform, uh, even now. So these are the two main uh, ways you can get in touch with me. Here's a question, and maybe uh, you guys are fairly new, right? You haven't been out there for years yet. Yeah, uh, we have a very new shop, uh, around six months, and we launched the platform actually a month ago. And um, so what do you anticipate? Do you anticipate that uh, these, so an investor wants to put their interest on your platform and they're going to you know, offer it, at, you know, probably they want back their original principal, plus maybe some uh, additional return. Uh, so, th- so they're going to have a price in mind. <coughs> Do you anticipate that there's going to be a lot of bidding and underbidding going on? As as much as the platform will get bigger, obviously there'll be more liquidity. Uh, so you'll see a lot of offers and and a lot of asks. And in regards to pricing, it really depends on on the deal, and really depends on DLP itself. Maybe there's someone that is super distressed and he needs the, mon- the money tomorrow morning. So we'll be able to sell his share at, a, I don't know, 20% discount or 50% discount. Mm-hmm. And obviously, people buy into it very, very quickly. If it's not a super distressed LP and just want to 
refresh his portfolio or uh, focus on other asset classes, uh, he could really share um, to, to buy his share at a premium. So people will need to make uh, a decision if they do want to buy into that price or not. We are providing investors with ways to really uh, translate the share price into real real estate terms. So we do provide them with the implied cap rate. We do provide them with the implied cash return. And for each and every pricing, we do have a sensitivity table in the platform. So it makes it very easy for investors to really uh, uh, really focus in on the pricing they want as a seller or as a buyer. And yeah, but it depends on the specific preference of the LP. We're not, as again, uh, the platform is not suggesting uh, a price for the asset. We're just providing historical information about valuation. So it could be the original acquisition price. It could be a BOV that was shared with sponsor. It could be uh, an appraisal based on a recent refinance. It's all historical information we give the investor in order to aim to really determine the price. We're not suggesting any kind of pricing. All right. Very good. Well, um, so just in case anybody wants to get a hold of us, uh, you can go to our website at syndicationattorneys.com. If you haven't already read my book, the one that you see behind me called How to Legally Raise Private Money, it is an Amazon number one uh, bestseller. You can get a free digital copy at the website. So if you just go to syndicationattorneys.com and click free book, uh, you can uh, get a digital copy sent to you or you can buy it on Amazon. Um, also, uh, we have a ton of educational material on our website. If you go into our library and in the articles, there's over 50 different articles. We're all one or two pages, very easy to read. Everyone is on a single subject related to syndication. Also, I encourage you to read our frequently asked questions. And if you want to listen to our previous podcast, you can also do that either at our website or you can subscribe to this podcast, which is an actual live podcast on 20 different podcast platforms called Raise Private Money Legally. So uh, we're happy to have you follow us any way you like. Um, we also do have low cost ways for you to become a client, even if you don't have a deal right now. Uh, we have uh, some, uh, well, something we call a pre-syndication retainer that gives you some access to us and invitations to our weekly masterminds that I host. And um, we're happy to have you uh, all consider doing that as well. Uh, so if you're interested in any of that stuff, go to syndicationattorneys.com and schedule a call with one of our staff and uh, we can get you some information about that. Um, so Gil, I think we better get to these questions. We've got a whole lot. So we've got a whole bunch of people in the Q&A. Um, By the way. All right. If the sponsor has multiple syndications, would the liquid assets function like ETFs or individual stocks? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm following. It says, if the sponsor has multiple syndications with the liquid, yeah, I'm not sure I understand that question either. Uh, so Kevin asks, for LPs that want liquidity uh, but don't want to sell their investment, uh, does your platform offer it a way to take a loan against an investor's stake, like a margin loan? Good question, but the answer is no. Let's see. Stephen asks, are you a registered alternative trading system, ATS? Not yet, but hopefully in a few weeks' time, yes. We'll be registered as a broker-dealer, and the platform will be an ATS, an alternative trading system. Okay. 
as an investor, Ken asks, as an investor, how would I become comfortable with the sponsor and the property? So this is exactly why we have the asset page. And this is why we ask the sponsor to provide us with all the information needed in order to make a good decision. And obviously, as I said, as we said earlier, we vet each and every sponsor and we vet each and every investment. So it goes through different layers of vetting um, until the really the investor has an ability to see the asset. Brandon asks, uh, curious to know how this process helps or hurts the ability to do 1031 exchange. Well, it really, uh, I'm going to answer that one. I don't think <laughs> this has nothing to do with the 1031 exchange. Uh, I agree. I think it's, I mean, it, it is possible. It's super complicated. So as of right now, this is not something we are attempting. The problem you have, Brandon, with trying to insert a 1031 exchange into this process is uh, that if any of these properties have a loan against them, uh, the 1031 investor cannot invest into a syndicate because they're not buying like-kind interest. They're trying to exchange real estate interest for direct real estate that they own for a real property or for a personal property interest, which is an interest in an LLC. And those are not like-kind exchanges. They don't qualify for 1031 exchange. So the only way that 1031 in investor can insert themselves is to actually get direct deeded title to the real estate, which is not going to be possible if there's a loan on that property because the lender is never going to allow you to carve off a piece of the real estate and give it to somebody else. Uh, so that has to happen at the point of acquisition if it's going to happen at all. And the way that it happens is through a, uh, a tenant in common agreement that the lender has agreed to and the lender both uh, vets, underwrites and gets loan guarantees from uh, every 1031 investor in the deal. So, you know, the syndicate being one 1031 investor and then this other person who wants the 1031 exchange into the deal. If you want to know more about that. Uh, you can uh, go to our website. There is an article there in the library called The 1031 Dilemma. Uh, the, uh, so you could look at that. The other thing is that when you bring in a 1031 exchange investor into a syndicate uh, or, or to invest side by side along with a syndicate, you are giving away that portion of the property to that 1031 investor because according to IRS rules, all of the profit splits have to occur at the property level. So if that investor comes in and buys 25% of a property, then you just carved off 25% of that property. You do not get an acquisition fee. You do not get a, a, um, a uh, promote uh, or any share of profits based on that percent of the property. You've just given it away to somebody else. So uh, I hope that answers your question, but we're happy to uh, have you read our article and then uh, schedule a call if you still have questions about that beyond that. Uh, Stephen asks, uh, will you accept tokenized real estate equity? Uh, no, it's a brand new thing. Uh, we have looked into it. Uh, I believe it's not regulated as of right now. So we are, as I said, we are going to be a broker dealer. Regulation is super important for us. So the old old fashioned title is probably the, the path we'll take. <clears throat> All right. Um, Kit asked, and I know we answered this before, but we'll just cover it again. Uh, if I'm raising money for a new project that hasn't closed yet, does this service allow to raise capital from new investors? It could, yeah. We are considering it, yes. But but not at this time. So don't yes. rely on this. And, uh, you know, and I'm imagining that there's going to be a pretty strict uh, vetting process on who, what sponsors you're going to allow 
to put yes. their primary interests on your uh, platform. And, yeah. uh, you know, all of a sudden, Kit, you're going to have to provide a very strong track record from the members of your team before you're going to be eligible to be able to be on that platform with a primary offering. That's uh, and, and the reason for that, and my understanding of the reason for that is because the uh, broker dealer takes on a very uh, strict fiduciary responsibility for um, making sure that those are sound investments. And so the only way they can really assure themselves of that is to make sure that you've done it enough times before that they're comfortable that you're uh, not going to make a big blunder on this one. And, uh, yeah. you know, so so that's what you would have to do. Um Okay, so Richard asks, uh, do you accept a PM tool like Appfolio Data Appfolio Data Room for your vetting and due diligence on our syndicated property? Well, that's Appfolio Data Room is really just an investor management platform where you're going to post information about your deal. And certainly they would look at all of your information that you've posted about your deal, but they're going to conduct their own uh, you know, uh, questioning. Yeah and underwriting. Uh, so, you know, certainly whatever you've provided to investors, you're going to have to provide to Gil and his team. Uh, but you may have to provide even more than that to Gil and his team. They may even want to see some, you know, financial statements from some of the sponsors. Is, is that true? Um, yes, yes. And regarding these platforms, actually, as a technology company, we can use them um, because you can, we can use a process of the pretty, you know, takes all the information and nothing to be needed to uh, really transfer it through email. So um, we can solve this problem as well. But as you said, uh, whatever the sponsor is providing of his investors, we need to have and look into and probably a bit more. Okay. Um, Bater asks, how do you find the investors? If a sponsor brings its own investors, do those investors get solicited and see other ads? Well, that's a good question. Uh, yes, they do. I mean, each and every investor that is opting into the platform um, has a wide visibility on other uh, investments as well. We're not so collecting the information and what's solicitating uh, directly to these investors, but they do have the ability to see other investments in the platform. What if, someone to, uh, what if someone wanted to do just a closed offering to their own uh, group of investors? Would you? Would there be a way for your platform to not uh, have them eligible to see all these other offerings? Te technically, yes. It really resembles the right first uh, offer uh, mm -hmm. scenario we, we discussed. So technically, yes. I don't know if it's so you know advantageous to to the sponsor. At the end of the day. What we providing with the platform is getting more exposure to new investors, not only the existing ones. So we could provide this technical uh, service, but I don't think it will be that advantageous for the sponsor. In this well, I, I know that it's a concern always for uh, someone who has gone out and, and cultivated their own database of prospective investors to then mm -hmm. have investors start to get exposed to other offerings. Um, so I do, I do know that is a concern. So I, I'm sure you're going to get some questions about that from any yes. clients that would. I come mean, to it, it is a concern, but mm -hmm. I mean, look at the world today. I mean, people are exposed to real estate investments all around the web. Sure. They have a lot of information. So if you have an investor that invested with you in the past ten years, 
is probably know of other sponsors that provide the same service of investing in real estate. So it will not be that we'll be the one that uh, will open this investment pool to the old investor. It is possible already. Ken asks, as a CrowdStreet investor, I would consider secondary buying one of their deals. They review deals thoroughly to make a commission on the whole property. Well, actually, they don't make a commission on the, on the whole property so much as they earn a marketing fee. Uh, incidentally, uh, well, CrowdStreet has a $25,000 minimum. And he's saying, I can't imagine Second RE can do as thorough an analysis for a $50,000 investment and make a proper commission. Can you address this issue? Um, so... Uh, we can. Again, that's my background. That's the background of the team. Uh, we've been doing real estate investments. So we are doing pure uh, in-depth due diligence on each and every investment. And our business model will pay for that at the end of the day. Okay. We'll not see any problems with that. All right. And... Um... Deepak asks, would you accept a non-operating hotel can being converted to short-term rental or apartments? It really depends on the phase of the investment. Again, if it's very close to being stabilized, if there's a true horizon, very clear horizon of this asset producing cash flow in the next few months, and there's financing in place as well, yes, we can promote it. If it's really the start of this process, it will be much harder. What is your email address again, please, Gil? So it's Gil, G-I-L, at secondary, S-E-S-O-N-D-R-E, dot com. Oded asks, can you give us an example of a sponsor you work with and the assets they list? Sure. Uh, so as I mentioned, we did uh, launch a month ago. And we launched with a sponsor called Reef Holdings from Dallas, Texas. They do multifamily and hospitality and currently have $3.4 billion of AUM. And we identified together six assets for currently in this platform. And the two will be added in the next few months. And we onboarded a lot of their investors uh, during this process. So again, the platform is currently live. People could log in, could offer bids, and people are offering also to sell the assets uh, of Reef. So Aaron asks, or Aaron, uh, can both seller and buyer make money on the same transaction? Uh, yes, of course. Really depends on the basis. I mean, think of a primary offering. Somebody is did a value-add value business plan uh, in a multifamily asset, for example, and increase the NOI. And then somebody else buy this stabilized asset with the except, exception to really make more money. So as the economy grows, as real estate grows, and we saw that a lot in 2008, obviously, in real estate, uh, yeah, people can make money both on the sell and the buy. This is just the market. Uh, Alp asked, is there a book that you guys recommend on how to underwrite a deal for syndication? Uh, I believe that's a question for you because I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if any of the, uh, you know, maybe look at Joe Fairless's book, um, Hunter Thompson's book. Um, 
you know, I, I think a couple of those guys, if you look on real estate, these syndication books on Amazon and maybe look at some of the books that are written by the real estate training guys, the same guys that are out there teaching people how to syndicate the real estate side of it, um, then the, some of their books may have some sections and, and stuff on that. You know, I might also dig around on their websites. Uh, so uh, Jake and Gino's website, uh, RE Mentors website and some of the books that they've written. Um, uh, let's see who else. Uh, the Joe Fairless book, like I mentioned, uh, and uh, Michael Blank. Uh, look around on their websites too. They may also have some underwriting templates that they sell, um, as well as maybe having that in some of their books. So uh, that's where I would look for that information. Um, Calvin asks, I'm curious if this all works in a similar manner in Canada. Is it the same process? Um, again, we are we're going to be registered in the U.S. Uh, we are catering real estate assets in the U.S. only. Um, not necessarily only open for uh, U.S. investors. Could be uh, investors from outside the U.S. as long as they you know, meet the qualification and the tech structure of the original investment. If that's good for them because we're not changing the tech structure or the legal structure when we're doing the swipe between the old LP to the, uh, to the new one. But hopefully when we'll grow, we'll look into other markets as well. And Canada will probably be the first one. Okay. Well, let's uh, hope that you're very successful in the U.S., which I think you will be. And uh, then we'll see you grow into other markets as well. Uh, Shante asks, can you also do a loan on a business that includes real estate with a high amount of revenue to support the debt? Well, I mean, if it's a corporate loan on a real estate business, probably not. Uh, we are focused on real estate assets. Mm -hmm. So that's a question that I would ask just to clarify it for everybody that you're not going to be investing in startups uh through this platform that's not the purpose of this uh, or that's right there are similar platforms that really do secondary transactions for um uh, employees options or startups and things like that but we are only focusing on real estate we are focusing on equity right now uh but any kind of loan could be a senior loan could be a prep uh credit equity it could be mez as well as long as the underlying asset is a real estate asset, we'll consider it. Uh, do okay. Here's one last. Do you think liquidity will be common or will will stay a niche? Hmm. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Do you think that um, people looking for liquidity will be common? I guess you do, or you wouldn't. Uh, obviously, I'm biased, for your platform, right? right? Exactly. If we thought it would be stay a niche, uh, we wouldn't, you know, attend this issue. Uh, we do think that eventually this will become very, very common. Yes, people this need this flexibility, need the liquidity. And, you know, it's technology. It's been uh, doing a lot of crazy stuff in the very old uh, business structures. So we think that providing liquidity will do the same for real estate. Yes. 
All right. Well, we have made it through our questions. Uh, I want to thank, and we're at the end of uh, our call on top of the hour. So I just want to thank everybody for joining us today. We had a tremendous crowd. And Gil, I want to thank you for providing the service and also for joining us today. It's been a very great learning experience. I'll send you a couple of follow-up questions, and then we sure. will publish those when we send out the uh, the uh, replay. So uh, yeah, thank you all, perfect. everybody. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Raise Private Money Legally podcast with your host, securities attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Syndication Attorneys PLLC is a law firm that provides syndication and fund documents, offers commercial real estate transactional services, and creates professionally designed investor marketing materials for capital raising clients nationwide. Visit syndicationattorneys.com to schedule an appointment and sign up to get a copy of our latest book, How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally, the only guide you need to raise private money legally for real estate funds and syndications.